Welcome back to another College Hoops Mania podcast episode. I'm your host, Wes Troyer, and I'm back today with another episode for you guys. It's officially Feast Week, which is very exciting. We have a lot of good action this upcoming week. Before I get into today's content, I want to go over a few things first. If you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform it may be, I would really appreciate if you would subscribe as well as leave, leave some feedback for me via rating or via review. Both of those would be extremely helpful to me, and I would greatly appreciate if you did so. You can follow me on Instagram, as I'm very active on there throughout the week. My username on Instagram is collegehoops.mania. I post analysis of games I watch, the big games throughout the week, so if you want to see some more instant instant analysis, instant feedback on some games that just happened, you can follow me there, as I'm very active on that throughout the week. I'm also on Twitter at chmpod. I'm not as active on Twitter, but I am active somewhat throughout the week on that platform. With that being said, let's get right into today's content. So the first thing I want to touch on is the Gabbit games that happened this past week, went Monday and finished up Thursday. Going into this, most people would have thought the Big Ten would have won this fairly handily. In fact, the Big East was not favored in a single one of these games, which is pretty amazing considering the Big East stunned the Big Ten and ended up winning the challenge 6-2. to Marquette beat Illinois, Providence beat Wisconsin, Seton Hall beat Michigan, Creighton beat Nebraska, Xavier beat Ohio State, and DePaul beat Rutgers for the Big East. IU won a close game against St. John's. May have been the best game of the whole challenge, I would argue. And then MSC Michigan State also routed Butler to get big, the Big Ten their second win in this challenge. I think the biggest takeaway from the Gavit games overall is just the fact that the Big East is clearly better than most of us realized. Going into the year, everyone obviously had Villanova ranked. Most people had Villanova around their top five. And then... Next closest to being ranked was UConn. Some people may have had them uh, at the bottom end of their top 25 polls. Some people may have not had them in their top 25 polls at all. UConn actually didn't even play in this challenge, which is pretty impressive considering it's the Big East's second best team by most people's standards. And, I mean, to be fair, Purdue didn't play in this either, which is the Big Ten's best team. And we'll be talking about Purdue more later in the podcast. But... It's pretty impressive what the Big East was able to do this week. I mean, starting off on that Monday night, Marquette beating Illinois. Marquette just was suffocating defensively on that Illinois basketball team. Andre Curbelo really struggled. He had like seven turnovers in the game. Illinois had 20-plus turnovers in the game. Overall, I forget the exact number. But Marquette had Illinois completely out of their game. Providence was able to beat Wisconsin. Wisconsin didn't have Jonathan Davis which obviously played a factor in that. Seton Hall beating Michigan was incredibly impressive. I'll be talking about Michigan more later, but Seton Hall is obviously better than most people expected. They lost Mimo Kelishvili from a year ago, but they returned a lot of good guards. They have a deep backcourt. They have some playmakers from the backcourt. Yeah, Seton Hall is just clearly better than most people realize. Creighton beating Nebraska wasn't necessarily entirely surprising. Nebraska was favored in the game by like three and a half, but a lot of people thought Creighton might win this one. 
Xavier beat Ohio State. Ohio State didn't have justice suing, but let's be real. Ohio State just has not looked good yet this year. They barely beat Akron. They won on a last-second shot against Akron, and they've struggled in games after that as well. And then the last one, DePaul beating Rutgers, was very, very impressive. Honestly, DePaul beating Rutgers was one of the most surprising results, in my opinion. Not that Rutgers is one of the Big East best teams, but DePaul is, was looked at as the Big East worst team going into this year. So the fact that they were able to pick up a quality win over Rutgers, who is looked at as an NCAA tournament team this year, is really impressive and just speaks to the depth of the Big East. The Big Ten, many people thought might be the country's best conference this year. They're always right around the top. Have struggled in the NCAA tournament and, you know, for quite a while I haven't won a national championship since Michigan State did in 2000. But no one would have expected the Big Ten to struggle like they have this far, this early. Like, they have really, really struggled. Other than Purdue, IU has been, you know, pretty good. They picked up a win over St. John's. Haven't really played anybody outside of St. John's. Michigan State has been, you know, they've been, they lost to Kansas on opening night, beat teams they should, and then picked up, you know, a pretty decent win at Butler. But there just hasn't been a lot of impressive teams in the Big Ten. The teams who have who have won games thus far have been against teams worse than them. They haven't picked up many big wins in the season yet. And the fact how much Michigan has struggled is very surprising. That leads me into my next topic, which is the Michigan Wolverines, who followed up their loss to Seton Hall with a win over UNLV, and then they ended up getting beat by Arizona by a score of 80-62. to 62. Many people thought the Arizona-Michigan game may be close, but the way in the fashion that Arizona handled Michigan, handled Hunter Dickinson down low, was pretty astonishing, to be completely honest. So the question may lie with a lot of people, what is what exactly is wrong with Michigan? Why aren't they living up to the hype that many people thought they that they had, that they deserved, including myself? It's pretty clear that Michigan is lacking a true playmaker and distributor right now. Devontae Jones had some foul trouble last night, but looking earlier to the Seton Hall lost to the Seton Hall loss, he was just he he was holding on to the ball way too long. Michigan was was taking a lot of time to get into their offense. There were times where Michigan didn't even get inside the three point line the whole possession or you know and late in the shot clock. And that it ended up with Michigan having to hoist up a, a late shot clock prayer. Devontae Jones has just been pretty underwhelming thus far. I personally thought Devontae Jones was was going to be even an upgrade from Mike Smith. I was very high on Devontae Jones. I, I'm not sure if it's just going to take time for him because at Coastal Carolina, he had such a high usage rate. I mean, they wanted the ball in his hands all the time him to you know take a lot of dribbles each possession but at Michigan he needs to be a distributor first yes he's going to score the basketball he's a scorer he has a good floater he can shoot the ball you know he's good facilitating but he needs he needs to get his teammates involved and especially get Hunter Dickinson involved Hunter Dickinson has not been getting enough paint touches he did not touch the ball near enough not much at all down the stretch against Seton Hall and against Arizona you have to credit Christian Coloco for handling him the way he did in the paint. But also at the same time, they still didn't get Dickinson involved enough. If you're if they're not using Dickinson, 
he's they're going to struggle. And it's not like I would say Dickinson has been touching the ball way too far away from the hoop. They need to get deep paint touches to Dickinson. Michigan's really good at using, you know, like the short ball screen pick and roll with Dickinson where they're using Dickinson in a ball screen, you know, like free throw line area and especially with their point guard like Jones they can use Jones to come off that and get a quick, you know, pocket pass or lob to Dickinson. And they utilize that sometimes, but it seems to it seems to work so efficiently. And if it collapses the defense, then you have a kick out three in the corner. So I think Michigan probably should utilize that aspect of their offense a little bit more. But overall, they just need to get into their offense quicker. Devontae Jones needs to be more of a facilitator, distributor. And they also just need to play through Dickinson a little bit more. Because with Dickinson, it's not necessarily like his his post moves with his back to the basket that it makes him so great, but it's his vision. He's 7-1, but he sees the floor really well. He's good at getting out of doubles, and Michigan needs to utilize that because either they double him and he's going to make the right read, or if you can get it deep to him, he's he's going to finish it around the rim most of the time. So for Michigan, I think that's key going forward. Eli Brooks has shown some strong signs of playing well at point guard. I don't think that's what Jawan Howard exactly wants to happen with Eli Brooks playing the majority of his minutes at point guard. But it is something, you know, they can look at and they can use him there. He's probably a little better off the ball, but Brooks is probably, he's not probably, he's been Michigan's best point guard thus far when he's been playing that position. Looking at the flip side of this Arizona-Michigan game, because you can say all you want about Michigan, but the truth is, Arizona is is a really good basketball team. I was extremely impressed with Arizona's athleticism. I mean, they have pros on this team. This team has serious, serious size. That's going to be difficult for anybody to handle. A lot of size, athleticism, and length. Similar to like uh, Florida State in terms of how athletic they are and, and the kind of problems that that can bring. Uh, Kirk Carissa, I mean, he's a legit option at point guard. He took care of the ball well against Michigan, and I was really impressed with his decision-making. He had seven assists and zero turnovers against Michigan. I mean, that's exactly what you want from your point guard. He's He had a really impressive floater. He was good at you know getting into the lane and being able to go off the dribble quickly into his right-handed floater. He That, that, that looked like it might have been his best shot. He wasn't making shots from the outside against Michigan, but he's very capable out there. So I was impressed with, with him at point guard. Benedict Matherin. I mean, Matherin is their is their best pro. He's he's their best prospect on this team. I mean, he's a legit wing. He he can really score it on all three levels. I was impressed with uh, his ability to stay under control. He's good on the defensive end. He doesn't really try to force too much. So like, even though you know he's their best pro, he's he he's a smart basketball player. He's a really good wing to have for this team. Dalen Terry. His improvement is tremendous. I mean, he's a different player than he was his freshman year. He was he really filled it up against Michigan. He finished with 11 points, five boards, five assists, zero turnovers. Another guy with zero turnover, zero turnovers. He just, I I was very impressed the way that he rebounded the ball for being a guard. There was multiple times he went and skied for the rebound against a couple Michigan defenders. I mean, he showed serious fight. He's better offensively. He's he's more skilled this year. I'm impressed with his development. 
Azulis Tubelis. I mean, he's a versatile forward. He's going to cause a lot of issues. He had some foul trouble against Michigan. He maybe played, I don't know, 25 minutes in the game, but he was very good when he did play. He's 6'11". I mean, he's able to shoot the three well. He scores inside. Another really smart player that Arizona has. Even though they have all this size and athleticism, they still have some pretty high IQ players on this team. They're not the best perimeter shooting team. I, I don't think they're as bad as they've shot, though, this year. I think they're, they're capable from out there, but that's not necessarily their strength. I mean, they're going to score inside. Christian Coloco inside at 7-1. He's an animal on both ends. He's a serious lob threat. His rim protection is elite. He had four blocks against Michigan. He owned the matchup against Hunter Dickinson, which not many guys can say that, that they have done. Hunter Dickinson, in his freshman year, went up against a lot of really good bigs in the Big Ten, and he completely held his own. So for Christian Coloco to go toe-to-toe with Hunter Dickinson and win that matchup speaks to his development and just you know how, how good of a post presence and interior presence he really is. The new AP poll just came out, and Arizona is now ranked 17th this week, which I'm glad to see the voters gave them the respect they deserve because this team is dangerous. The Pac-12 has done you know, pretty well this far. USC, Arizona, Oregon, and UCLA. Oregon had that blowout loss to BYU, but Oregon's still a good basketball team. The Pac-12 is better than they've been in recent years. It's an exciting time to be a Pac-12 basketball fan, and the basketball out west is much improved than we have seen in recent years. Following that, we had a big tournament this weekend that featured North Carolina, Tennessee, Villanova, and Purdue. Purdue played Carolina in the first game and beat Carolina. And then Tennessee and Nova played, and Nova advanced in that one. And then Purdue ended up having a come-behind win over Villanova to, to win the championship there. And I think the biggest takeaway from that is just the fact Purdue has completely legitimized themselves as a national title contender. Purdue was able to come back from down 11 with a little over 9 to play against Villanova on Sunday. Jaden Ivey this weekend showed that he really is a legit first-team All-American candidate. On Saturday against Carolina, I mean, he showed off his scoring prowess. He was scoring off the dribble in transition, hitting threes off the dribble, step backs. I mean, he was really impressive. Against Villanova, he didn't shoot the ball as well. But his playmaking down the stretch was the sole reason Purdue was able to come back and beat Villanova in that game. I mean, Jaden Ivey is just so explosive. He can go up and grab a rebound and then just beat everybody up the floor. It's very impressive. He has long strides. He's explosive. He has wiggle in his dribble. He's able to get by guys. You know, he has elite change of pace, elite change of direction. Jaden Ivey has the whole package offensively. I mean, he's able to finish through contact now. I think he's stronger than people give him credit for. Purdue as a whole just has really, really great depth. I mean, they play about nine guys. They have they have a really good role allocation. And that's what happens when you return so much. I mean, guys already understand what their role is. They're bought into the team. I mean, the fact that you had Travion Williams come out this week and say something along the lines of, if you're worried about playing time, you're worried about the wrong thing. Travion Williams is, you know, like a borderline All-American candidate, one of the best players in the Big Ten, and he's coming off the bench this year at Purdue. 
And what does he do? He doesn't care about playing time. He doesn't care about points, statistics. He cares about winning. And that's the culture that you want on a basketball on your basketball team. Hearing Travion Williams say that, that just shows what what Matt Pen- what Matt Painter has been able to build there. The culture that he's built, he has everybody bought in, and that's a really good sign when talking about a team that can win come March. I mean, this team has chemistry. They have a great team dynamic. They have a pro in Jaden Ivey. I mean, he's going to be a lottery pick most likely. They have the size. Last year, they struggled a little bit offensively, but were a really good defensive and rebounding team. This year, there's not really a serious hole. I mean, they had an inexperienced perimeter a year ago. They had young guys in the backcourt. They weren't necessarily great at shooting the basketball. And the fact that they lost Sasha Stefanovic down the stretch was was really crucial. When he came back, he never really was quite the same as he had COVID in mid-January. And losing him definitely hurt down the stretch of last year because he was really their only legit shooting threat, only legit you know player that could stretch defenses out. But this year, I mean, Isaiah Thompson shooting it well. Caleb First at the four is able to pop off ball screens and stretch defenses. He, I mean, he's a really good rebounder. He's physical. He's able to bang down low with bodies, chest in. Caleb First is a great piece for this team. Came, coming in as a freshman and already starting. Having Zach Eady's sheer size alone is a huge advantage at 7-4. He has good hands. He's, I'm impressed with his ability to handle some tough passes coming his way. I mean, he, like, obviously his sole purpose is to get easy buckets, you know, alter shots on the defensive end. But his, his size alone causes serious issues. Where Edie hurts Purdue a little bit and where they have to take him out sometimes is when it comes to his foot speed and when other teams are able to pull him away from the basket. Carolina was able to do that. Villanova was able to do that some. Edie struggles to close out on shooters. As a nobody's surprise, I mean, he's he's ginormous. That's that's obviously very difficult to do when you're seven four. So his foot speed's slow, but he still benefits Purdue in a lot of ways. It's just a luxury that when you know teams are able to exploit that weakness with Zach Eady. Okay, we'll bring in Travion Williams. It's not that big of a deal. Williams is obviously very good in himself. So Purdue just has so many strengths, and I'm very impressed with what they were able to accomplish this weekend. Another team that was able to accomplish a lot this weekend was St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure won the Charleston Classic. They ended up manhandling a good Marquette team in the championship, 70-54, to and the score honestly wasn't even that close. They were in control the whole way, up by 20-plus for a decent amount of time. For those of you that don't have a great idea about this St. Bonaventure team, may ask the question, what makes this team so good? You know, what's the hype about when it comes to St. Bonaventure? I would start with the fact that they have a really elite team dynamic. Don't forget, they are returning all five starters from a year ago, and that was a team that was an eight seed, and they lost the first round game to LSU, but they fought hard in that one. It was like, they were a really good team a year ago. But the Bonnies play four guards around one big, Osan Ushunie. Oshunie is honestly the perfect big to put around these guards. He's perfect for this system. He's an elite shot blocker, arguably the best shot blocker in the country, but he's certainly one of them. He's a really good screener. He rebounds well, and what stands out the most is is his uh, selflessness. He, he simply does not care about touches. He doesn't care about points. 
he's going to score when he's you know around the rim and gets gets good looks dunks lobs drop offs in the dunker spot you know whatever it may be off a ball screen but offensively he's really good at setting up guards you know to come off screens and get their best look but he's also good at spacing around them he has a he has a high iq of spacing and that's what makes this work so well and then the four guards you put around him they can all shoot the basketball they're all able you know to put the ball on the floor make plays facilitate and distribute kyle lofton is the leader of this team i mean he's a four-year captain he has great uh experience and leadership as well as leadership ability really boosts this team. He's he's certainly one of the best floor generals in the country and just honestly one of the most underrated guards in the country in general. People should be talking about Kyle Lofton. This dude is legit. I think what stands out also is the fact St. Bonaventure is not even shooting the three ball well yet this year. And this is a team that can shoot the three. I mean, all four guards can shoot it. And they were able to handle Marquette without shooting the three ball well, which which was really impressive in my opinion. It just goes to show you how high this ceiling is. I mean, when talking about St. Bonaventure, not many people are going to talk about them when, when discussing potential Final Four teams or the most likely Final Four teams. I mean, I would certainly name a number of teams in front of St. Bonaventure that has the best chance to go to a Final Four. But the fact that they have experience... They were in the NCAA tournament a year ago, so they not only have experience, but they have NCAA tournament experience playing together. They have great guards, and they have a legit big down low, a shot blocker, a rim protector. St. Bonaventure has the pieces to win in March. They have the recipe that you need. I'm not saying that they're going to, but don't be surprised if St. Bonaventure advances far in March. They, they, have, they have a really interesting team and they are very capable of making a deep run in March. Although Marquette was on the losing side of that championship game, they still had a really good week. They beat Illinois on Monday, and then before they ended up playing in the championship game in the Charleston Classic, they opened it up with a win against Ole Miss, and then they beat West Virginia in the semis. If you guys didn't know, Shaka Smart left Texas for Marquette, so Shaka Smart is now the coach of the Golden Eagles, and he has just brought the defensive pressure and intensity to Marquette. Daryl Morcel was, you know, one of the best defenders in the country at Maryland, but he was just kind of a guy offensively. He wasn't one of their primary options. He's arguably Marquette's primary option. Him him and Justin Lewis probably are their top two offensive options. And Daryl Morcel just looks confident scoring the basketball. I mean, he was really good against Illinois. He, he's more than just than just a defensive player. He is really terrific defensively, and he fits Shaka Smart's system really well because, I mean, uh, his ability to lock up, he can provide that full-court pressure, and he embraces it, and, that, and that's what you want when playing in a system like that. So Mar- Shaka Smart has Marquette, you know, in a really good place. They ended up ending the week on a, on a rough note with the Lost St. Bonaventure, but in the grand scheme of things, it was a really, really successful week for the Golden Eagles. Now that we are in the new week, we are officially in Feast Week. We had some pre-Feast Week action last week, but the majority and the meat of Feast Week is this upcoming week. Here are some of the previews for the upcoming tournaments. We have the Maui Invitational, which features Houston, Oregon, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and a few other teams as well, but those are the, those are the highlight teams in that tournament. We have the Fort Myers Tip-Off, which is a four-team tournament with Seton Hall, 
Ohio State, Florida, and Cal. Another four-team tournament in the Hall of Fame Classic with Illinois, Arkansas, Cincy, and Kansas State could have a nice potential Illinois-Arkansas championship there. The ESPN Events Invitational featuring Alabama and Kansas, which could potentially face in the championship, as well as we have Miami, Drake, Belmont, Alabama, and Iona will face in the opening round. Rick Pitino versus Nate Oates. Rick Pitino has some quality transfers at Iona. They're 4-0 right now with a win over Liberty. I mean, that's an intriguing matchup. Alabama does not have an easy opening opening round game in that tournament. We have another four-team tournament in the NIT season tip-off, which has Virginia Tech, Xavier, Iowa State, and Memphis. Virginia Tech and Memphis will face in the first game, which is kind of a bummer that we couldn't have a championship game there. But nonetheless, we're guaranteed Virginia Tech and Memphis. That will be a great matchup. Both teams haven't had a real test yet, so it'll be interesting to see them play each other and you know face the first legit threat to them all season from both sides. And lastly, the Battle for Atlantis, which features Michigan State, Loyola Chicago, UConn, Auburn, Syracuse, Baylor, Arizona State, and VCU. This is a loaded field. Uh, the favorite, I would presume to be Baylor. Baylor's the highest ranked team in this field, but I mean, Baylor, Michigan State, UConn, Auburn, even Syracuse, they could get high. I mean, there, there's a lot of teams in this field that are dangerous, and even Arizona State's com- uh, capable of winning some games. They have serious talent. I guess I'm not sure if Marcus Bagley is good to go, but if Marcus Bagley is good to go, I mean, the Sun Devils can for sure make some noise, so the Battle for Atlantis is a great tournament to look forward to. And then on top of that, we have one versus two Tuesday night, Gonzaga versus UCLA. That is going to be incredible. And then Gonzaga has more action later on Friday. Gonzaga will play Duke on Friday later in the week. These aren't a part of any tournaments, but we have Gonzaga, UCLA, Gonzaga, and Duke on top of all of these Feast Week tournaments. It's going to be a hectic week in the sports. And to close my podcast today, I did this a little bit last year. I would put a poll on my Instagram at collegehoops.mania and would have some of my followers submit some questions as to which I would answer a select few each podcast. So I'm starting that back up today. I will be answering a few questions here to close the podcast. The first question I'll be answering is from Rylan.Bay, I believe you pronounce it, on Instagram. He asked, who's a sleeper unranked team at the moment? So obviously now Arizona, Seton Hall, both ranked after last week. So the sleeper team that I am going to say that is still unranked, I'm going to give you two. I'm going with Mississippi State and Virginia Tech. Neither of these two teams have played quality competition yet, so I mean, you can't necessarily argue too much the fact that they're not ranked, although in my opinion, Virginia Tech should have been ranked to begin the year, but nonetheless, they haven't played quality competition yet, so you can make that argument as to why they're not ranked, but both of these teams are going to be very good. Both of these teams are going to be top 25 teams for a majority of the year, in my opinion. My next question is coming from Dan Hewer underscore who asked, what are your thoughts on Virginia's rough start to this season? So to answer that, I would say I'm, I wasn't entirely high on Virginia to begin with. Most people will recognize the fact that this is arguably Tony Bennett's worst roster since he's been at Virginia. 
for Virginia to be good, they are going to need production from their guards. Kihei Clark is a solid point guard, but they need, you know, their their off-ball guards like Reese Beekman, like Armand Franklin to be making shots for this team. Both of them have struggled thus far. Jaden Gardner could be a good fit in the system, but they're going to need their guards to play better. Just because of their style of play, I do think Virginia will end up making the NCAA tournament this year. They'll find a way to win games with their with their slow pace and with their pack line defense. Although this isn't probably the best roster to to play the way that they're playing, but that's how Tony Bennett plays. They're going to win games because of it. They're going to get better. I just don't necessarily think this is a, t- a, a typical Virginia team. I think they'll be they'll make the NCAA tournament, but maybe not by a great margin. The next question comes from B Hamilton 04 who asked, what are my way too early March Madness one seed predictions? As of right now, my March Madness one seed predictions are definitely Gonzaga, UCLA, Purdue, and Kansas. I don't really think many people would argue with that right now. That is, that's clearly your top four teams in the country right now. And my last question on today's podcast comes from Carter.Wee, who asked, what team has surpassed your expectations so far? So there, there's obviously been a few that have been better than I expected, but I would say my the team that's succeeded my expectations the most thus far is probably Florida. I wasn't necessarily talking or focusing on them too much. That win over Florida State was very impressive to me. They handled them with ease. They're a really, really good defensive team. They're gritty on that end of the court. So the fact that Florida has been, you know, this successful during the top 25 back-to-back weeks now has probably been the team that surpassed my expectations the most this far into the year. With that being said, this will be the conclusion of this College Hoops Mania podcast. Once again, thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate all the support. We've been growing a lot on Instagram. I just hit 5,000 followers on Instagram. We've grown 2,000 the last two weeks, so I really, really appreciate all the support and just the interaction on Instagram. It's great. I love doing it, and I love doing this podcast as well. So thank you guys for listening. I'll be back to do another podcast next week and to talk about you know this crazy week in college basketball that we have coming up. So have a good week. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Watch college basketball, and I'll catch you guys next week. See ya.